Women on Screen Out Loud is proudly supported by Deluxe Toronto. Deluxe is the leading post-production and visual effects provider to the world's top content creators. This episode is proudly presented by the Directors Guild of Canada in Ontario. DGC Ontario. Creativity lives here. Welcome to Women On Screen Out Loud, giving a platform to women in the film industry who challenge, motivate, and inspire on all sides of the camera. We are your hosts, Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. What may seem like overnight success to the outside eye is often not the case for the artists themselves. There is a point for many of us working in this industry where we realize that success requires a long-term commitment Director and writer Annie Bradley speaks to this concept with the following checklist of advice, both practical and poetic, in her essay aptly titled, The Long Game. Through analogy and reflection, Annie shares a few pages of her moral guidebook on what it ultimately takes to hold fast to your dreams. Tenacity, grit, chutzpah, courage. Steadfastness, dedication, pluck, drive, backbone, endurance, guts, application, persistence, nerve, resolve, passion, moxie, determination, and fearlessness. Well, the nerve of it all, look at her, holding fast to her dreams. Whether I'm describing the marvelous Mrs. Maisel or myself, a film and television writer-director in 2020, I know that carving out a creative life as a woman at any time in history is definitely not for the faint of heart. To move beyond the dream or the imagining of doing the work is still a remarkable feat of emotional engineering, a trickery of the mind to frame the continuous setbacks as adventures, to evade the seductive compulsion of self-doubt, and to vanquish the wendingo of ego. And somehow, against all odds, we must rise boldly to face each new day with the bravery and resilience of a honey badger. Perseverance, or as I like to call it, the long game. You can't be in it for the quick fix, the tight toke, or the clapback. It's in the bones, the resistance to the no, the yearning for the crack at the door, the inch that could become the mile, the fist pump when you find a workaround. The stamina required is exhausting and alarmingly effective. All my life I've played the long game. I just didn't know what it was called or what the rules of engagement were. I thought it was simply a genetic trait that I possessed, a feminine flaw, a railing against the perceived and confirmed inequities of my gender, lost opportunities, and frankly, from being worn out from asking permission to speak, to be seen, to take up space, or to disagree. But lately, I've been thinking about the mechanics of perseverance, constructing a playbook, if you like, and wondering if I could rationally compose a tangible formula for beating the odds as if my life wasn't enough of a gamble. So here goes nothing and everything. Set a damn goal. And don't be all petite about it. Remember you live in an age without the need for someone to do up your corset. Let's face it. If you can freely breathe, the world's basically your oyster. There are no limits on the size or scope of your dream. When I was young, I wanted to be president of the world. And as for the sleight of mind techniques required, 
The bigger the goal, the smaller the day-to-day challenges will seem. It's physics, or math, or something my mom said. Break it down into bite-sized pieces, and yes, invest in post-its. Make to-do lists. You'll feel a false sense of accomplishment, which is extremely motivating. Be unrealistic in your quest. How much fun is this? But really, when you're thinking this is right, go left. Run willy-nilly towards the obstacles, because when you are unrealistic, they pose no threat. You got this. You're an outlier, a box breaker. There are no rules, so therefore nothing is impossible. But ground your unwavering self-confidence in skill, not ego, for skill is not something that can be taken away. Be certain that the only limits you have are those which you impose upon yourself. So just say, no thank you. I refuse to fill my plate from the buffet of the average. Don't dwell on your failures. It's a bitch, but just own them. Take the note, pick your sad-ass self up, and move on. Learning is growing, and you've got a huge road ahead to pave, so keep building on those speed bumps. And don't sit in the stink too long. Grab a healthy pound of perspective and slather yourself with a bit more privilege. Whatever you think you're experiencing, you're most likely not in a situation where you're hunting for anything more dangerous than ramen noodles for dinner. And if you are, I'm with you. This too will pass. Never be satisfied. Now, this one scares me a little bit, to be honest, because as women, we have this weebo-wobble battle with being seen as controlling or difficult, or dare I say it, opening our mouths lest we not be asked back. But as settling will rarely move us forward, every now and then it may prove worthy to be overreaching. And frankly, I'm not sure when having standards became such a bad thing. Also, try not to be boring in general. Don't invent stories. Live them. There is no such thing as luck. Embrace the risky move. Throw everything against the wall. You've got nothing to lose when you're starting at zero. No matter what you think you have done, it's never about what you have done or who you have done, but about the journey of the doing. And while you're doing the damn work, run towards what you fear the most. Embrace the suck. Jump first and worry about whether you packed a chute when you're admiring the view from the freefall. Remember that you knocked on every door at Halloween. It's supposed to be scary. Try the head cheese. It takes a village. And everybody's just doing the best they can. So try to be inspiring to the team, or you'll end up on a desert island with a basketball. Redefine strength. Open the gate to your heart to those who've earned it. And well, to every actor you'd like an amazing performance out of, vulnerability is not a weakness. It's a superpower. A delicate meter of all things authentic, of truth, and nuance. If you feel it, they will feel it, and most likely your audience will believe it. Vulnerability with healthy boundaries, of course, is imperative for longevity. It's your legacy, your currency, your integrity. And when practiced faithfully, it becomes your singular, unique voice. And finally, fill that joy box. Joy is everywhere wrapped in moments of grace, humanity, and compassion. It hides in the cracks of pain, just as it rings out in laughter shared with friends, in the besotted look of love from your pet when you walk through the door that I hope you also open for strangers. It blossoms in the fragility of us all. 
And when we are temporarily lost in the mean streets, it gently lifts us, sustains us, and reminds us that we should never give up on our dreams. Besides, who said it was ever going to be easy? Coming up, director and writer Annie Bradley gets specific about what she's encountered during her long game. All right. Hello, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki, and I'm here with Annie Bradley at Deluxe Toronto. Thank you so much for joining us today, Annie. Oh my God, thanks for having me. This essay, I'm just going to jump right in, really brilliantly describes this long game that many artists find themselves committing to. And I've, I've spoken to a few peers recently about the concept of the long game being a way of approaching your career that supports, as you put it, the emotional engineering that we have to do in order to survive. We are curious about when this came into play for you. Like, when did you fully realize that you were playing this long game? While I was writing this? No. <laughs> um, I think probably I, I, decided to, I decided to walk away from a very uh, successful career as a first assistant director almost 10 years ago now. Mm -hmm. And um, with this um, incredible misconception that um, my tenacity— my my tenacity would indeed propel me into a career very quickly because I had done a lot of the legwork before. And um, I had checked off a lot of the boxes that um, I was supposed to check off. And uh, I'd had a small amount of success. Um, but what I didn't realize was that the world, the business that I loved so much that I dedicated my whole life to, um, was not ready for me, mm. was not ready for women in that role as a director. So um, very quickly, I realized that I had to sort of come up with that things weren't going to happen as quickly as I imagined they were going to happen. Mm. And for a lot of people, I think that would have meant uh, maybe, you know, redirecting, thinking of doing something else, et cetera. And I am nothing obstinate and stubborn, um, which I like to call tenacity. And um, <laughs> I just decided I wasn't going to give up. So I pretty much had to figure out how I was going to play the long game. Mm -hmm. You talk about how you can't be in this for the quick fix. I, I, I find it really hard sometimes to describe to young artists this, exactly what you talk about, this tenacity, that there's a stamina involved, especially, I imagine, 10 years ago. And things have gotten better now for female directors. Certainly, there's more opportunities. Um, but... Uh, it has to exist in your bones. You have to find that tenacity and that stamina within you. Um, how does that feel for you? Where, so where do you fuel yourself from? Where do you get the energy to find the stamina and tenacity? Or is it just in your obstinance? <laughs> I think, you know, I, I think about this a lot. This has been a real year of, uh, of musing um, for me, of really digging deep and saying, what is this? What is this? What, it, what do you really love about this? And I do love the doing. Mm. And I think all the other stuff is just preparing for the doing. So whether it's, I'm a huge fan of living a real life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love the business. I love what I do. I love telling stories. 
but I also love meeting real people. I wouldn't be unhappy being a barista in a coffee shop. I I try to immerse myself in as much real life experience as I possibly can in, in between the fuel. doing. Yeah, Amazing. it really fuels me. We really also loved the phrase, don't be all petite about it. Oh, man, that spoke to us. And this concept of the corset and breath, especially I've been thinking a lot about breath. And another guest this season, uh, Jess Loguero, talked about learning in her journey to take up space. And she meant literally and figuratively. We so often, as women in this industry, deny ourselves this full breath. So you talked about goal setting in the same paragraph there. Does goal setting allow you to take full breaths and find inspiration for your work? You touched briefly on making to-do lists and, you know, the practical things that you can do in order to feel that space. Is that helpful for you, setting goals? You know, I think we we live in a world that is defined by goal ach- by achievement, right? Like we're we're living in this world where the likes we get, the the awards we win, the accomplishments that we can, you know, humble brag about. And I, you know, I, I feel really blessed that I grew up in a world that didn't have any of that because it's incredibly destructive to the creative process. So we are trying to constantly balance this. We're trying to constantly balance a branding of sorts of ourselves to try and carve out a career in this industry that that lives for that. And at the same time, to allow ourselves to have enough space to fail and to pick ourselves up in a very public arena <laughs> these days and brush ourselves off and be vulnerable in that moment and learn from that mistake and forgive yourself and have the courage to move on. Because when you are failing publicly, which everybody is these days, it it can very quickly lead to self-doubt, mental health issues, depression, like I mean, like all of that stuff, which is all part of the creative life as well, right? Managing that, dealing with it, healing yourself, you know, having friends that understand it and support you, all kinds of things. So this public life that we live now is, you know, it's very counterproductive to creativity, to real creativity, because real creativity is about attempt and failure Mm -hmm. and attempt again. I, I do once a week this actor jam with peers of mine here in Toronto and and our nickname for our club, we actor jam, we call it publicly, but the nickname is Fail Club. And it's literally a space that we created three years ago to do exactly that, to feel like we didn't have to be perfect on set and uh, a bunch of us feeling like, yeah, on set, you feel like you have no space for failure. Like maybe Robert De Niro feels he has space to do whatever he wants. But certainly as a as a Canadian actress, sometimes often working on American TV, there is a pressure that you feel to go, oh, I better not fuck it up. So we created a space just to be able to prep scenes in advance and make them fail. And that's really important. And it's really hard um, some time to find community mm-hmm. because we're all vying for the same jobs yeah. and there's not enough work. So it doesn't build community, right? So that's wonderful that you guys have done that. And I think it's really important. And also, like, when you talk about that, that pressure, then you add on the gender pressure, oh. right? Whether it's, you know, all of the, you know, all of the people who are not represented in the general diasporic of the last hundred years of filmmaking and storytelling, we are trying to carve out for ourselves 
just the sheer space to be able to tell the stories that we want to tell, which are, you know, we have to fight for those, those, those moments and fight for those stories to be told. And then on top of that, as women, we have to be better than everybody else. I always, we always say, directors, female directors, we just want to be called directors, by the way. Direct, that's when we know we'll be successful. But also, we know we'll be successful when you could really do a shit job and get hired again. Yes. I was thinking about that I, when you were just talking about failure, going that statistic of, you know, a, a male director who can make this bomb of a movie and still get hired to make the next multi-million dollar. And, and female, you fail once, you fuck up once, and it's like, bye-bye. Well, I like to say, um, when a female tree falls in the forest, everybody hears. <laughs> Sorry, that's that really spoke to me. This idea of grounding yourself also, you're talking about how we have to be better in skill and not ego. It's There's something freeing about it to me. This job is still a job, and we're called apprentices and journeymen and in the union for a good reason. We have to hone our skills and to get a bit practical to young aspiring directors who may be listening, what hone skills in the downtime would you say, or even onset, would you say that you have really worked at to support you? Well, I came up from the bottom. So I was a PA and then I became worked my way up to being one of the first female um, ADs in the country. Um, and I had a female, all-female AD team for many years. Oh, amazing. Which, you know, I used to put the fear of God in all the male crews saying that we all got our periods together at the same time. So, you know, they were, and that would last for the next 21 days. So they were all very terrified. Um, but uh, I think the thing about that was that made me feel very comfortable on that stage. So when I did get the opportunity to walk back onto that stage as a director, I didn't have that fear to deal, to deal with, mm -hmm. that, that specific fear to deal with. Will the crew respect me? Do I know everybody's job? Do I know what they need from me uh, to do their jobs? What is my role in the hierarchy? You know, what does a day look like? Mm -hmm. how, how many things can I actually accomplish in a day? Like to have that sort of knowledge was very powerful for me because you have enough to worry about. Very early on, I mean, I was an actress when I was young, and I have an extraordinary love of actors. I don't ever want to make a movie without them, although I am open to animation offers. Um, <laughs> but I still need actors for voices. Yeah. Um, I went back to it with Jacqueline McClintock, the dear, lovable, talented, extraordinary woman that she was. And I took acting classes. Oh, okay. And I went back, and I humiliated myself in front of a room of actors, which is a killer way to get actors to work with you. But it also is like, you know, you you need to understand what you're asking people to do, how terrifying it is, how frightening, how trust is such an important part of that equation and that relationship, and how you have to establish that very quickly, how to listen to actors, how to speak their language. Um, all of those things are skills that you can learn. And you can do all of that while you're waiting for a job. Spend time in the edit suites with friends if you, or if you're lucky enough to have people that you know that are professional editors and they allow you to come into that room. You know, spend time in sound edit suites, sound mixes. You know, go. I used to spend my lunch hours when I was an AD in the grip and electric trucks mm. with the key grip and key gaffer learning about gear. 
So you're really talking about, I almost want to say compassion is the first word that comes to mind, but an an empathy and understanding uh, as much information as possible about what other people are going through in their jobs in order to be the leader. Well, exactly, because at the end of the day, you are the leader of them. And when you do get that wonderful opportunity, you want to inspire them and to... I think it's really respectful to know what they do and what they bring to the table and mm-hmm. how much you need them. And that's leadership as far as I'm concerned. And part of being a director is being a leader. Mm-hmm. To quote a, another phrase from this essay, you wrote, when did having standards become a bad thing? Which for Jen and I, this phrase really made us think. Because it's a conversation that comes up a lot here in Canada. We as Canadians are somewhat, if we can just speak frankly, stuck in a bit of a service industry at times in Toronto. Work is not always plentiful. And we are often seen, uh, mostly by our neighbors, as being eager to take what's offered to us without difficulty. As you said, you know, don't, don't be difficult, don't be afraid, or be afraid of being difficult, not being asked back. So I'm curious, I'm always curious in asking people, at what point Do we recognize our standards and not take undervalued work, or is there a point, or is it a constant case-by-case basis, Um, or sometimes an uphill battle? I mean, it's a multi-folded question that can't be answered here, but it's something that I find myself and my peers talking about, Um, and Jen and I were talking about on a regular basis, this um, being proud of ourselves as Canadians while still working and working with our wonderful American neighbors who come up and offer us so much work. I don't know what I'm asking. What am I asking, well, Annie? Well, listen, I think it's when – I, when I talk about having standards, you know what I mean? I mean, like, all kinds of standards. I mean, I think about having integrity, mm-hmm. standing your ground, you know what I mean? Like, holding true to your vision. That doesn't mean being inflexible. That doesn't mean being open. Listen, I'll steal an idea from the craft guy. I don't care, right? If it's better than the idea I have, I will absolutely take it. That's letting go of your ego, right? Because most of the time, that comes from a place of ego. Mm-hmm. And ego is important. You know what I mean? It's what, it, it's what helps you believe in yourself and your ideas. But it can also become the thing that stops you from being truly creative and being curious and being in the moment. And listen, this is a really hard thing to do, but it can also stop you from having high standards, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're afraid that you didn't come up with that idea, or you didn't think it up, or somebody didn't like what you just did, or an actor challenged you. That doesn't mean you're doing a bad job. It doesn't mean that you're not good at your job. It just You have to be open to that and kind of let it hit you, just like an actor. When another actor says something to them, you have to let it hit you, process it, and go, okay, Let's not put this through my filter of abandonment issues and all my (laughs) triggers. And um, you know what I mean? And and what are they saying? Why are they saying that? What is the intention, right? Um, One of the greatest things that happened to me this year was I had a very big opportunity on an American show. The The producer who gave the most amazing notes, who was sitting behind me, said, I love the way you take notes. He said, I have not seen that before. He said, you're like, you're like, oh, that's awesome. Great. No, yeah. Going to go give it to the actors right now. He said, like, I was just like, what just happened? Like, she was excited by that note. And I'm like, yeah, 
It was a good note. Once again, that goes back to, I want to do good work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yes, there are times when we push back and we say, et cetera. But how do you manage that? You know, part of part of being successful is managing those relationships. And it's hard. It's complicated. And every show is different. Every job is different. So I, I'm just, I'm really trying hard now to sort of look at it like I did when I was a five-year-old child, when I was just like so excited to get up in the morning and so excited to, for what the world was going to bring me that day. And to try not to dwell in the negative, mm. which is a really easy, fast place to go to, which we can all go to in like pew, five seconds. Less. And yeah, <laughs> like point two. Um, and try to like go, okay, what do I need to learn from this? What is my part in this? How do I move on from this? How do I not sit in the stink? You know, because the stink is really, really seductive. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it took it in a better direction. The the stink also reminds me, season one, we had Lisa Berry saying that the, it's the seductive nature of getting addicted to not good enough, telling yourself a, you know, oh, oh not my enoughness. God. Oh, my God. Like, you know, and, and it's so, so easy to do. Yeah. It's so easy to do because we are in a business of rejection. Yeah. Like day in, day out, we are not enough. Yeah. So how do you balance that? Like what, you know, does it mean, like I have a dance party every morning, so I put on some. You and Jess Salgaro, she also yeah. does. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have a little dance party. Um, you know, in Halloween this year, I showed up on my American show dressed in my full Ghostbusters outfit. Amazing. Which one? Uh, well, of course, you know, Kate McKinnon. <laughs> um, you know, Holtzman. I'm so Holtzman. Um, and, uh, you know, like just sometimes being the clown, you know what I mean? Bringing, bringing the, the gentleness, bringing the fun. Or as you talk about, which is a great transition to the the last thing we wanted to say was the joy that fuels your journey. And you said it's blooming in the fragility of us all. And uh, it really, that gets to my gut. Just this idea of vulnerability in my own work as an actor, in my work with friends, like improving friendships in life. And um, this idea that vulnerability is an invitation it's not something to be afraid of, that that bringing our whole selves to the table in that way is an invitation to compassion and a full life with other people. And it, you already spoke to it earlier in the interview, but this idea that we are people first and our art springs from our lives. Um, what do you, I guess you kind of already spoke to it, but I, I'd love to hear, what do you hold precious in your life that allows you to be so open and strong in your work? I have, which I'm very upfront about, a complicated family life mm-hmm. in the sense of my past. I might not have had, I have wonderful parents. Don't get me wrong, I'm adopted. Mm-hmm. So that comes with its own deep-seated, you know, themes and issues. Not negative, just it does. It's the reality of it all. So there's a quest for me, um, you know, my themes, which are abandonment and identity, Mm -hmm. which is what every film I've ever made um, is about. Definitely not the same films, definitely the same themes, which is my voice. 
And that's, as an artist, those are my themes and that is my voice. That's my shit, as I like to say. But I think that understanding that family is what you make. It's not what you're necessarily born into. It's complicated. I love the fact that I have amazing long-term friends that I've had since childhood. We don't talk every day. We don't see each other all the time. But I love these people. They're fearless in their own lives. Many of them don't work in this industry, but they are extraordinary in what they do and the lives that they lead. They inspire me daily to be better. They call me on my shit. And they believe in my dream. 150%. It takes a village. It takes a village. It truly does. And you have to build that village. And that village will ebb and flow. It will change over the course of your career. But you have to approach each relationship that has value for you with authenticity and integrity. And and most of all, which, you know, is terrifying for all of us, but an open heart full of love. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, see, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> um, but also, too, like, you know, that is also what you have to approach. Me as a director, that's how I approach storytelling, and that's how what drives me in my creative life is that I want to tell stories of truth and vulnerability, and and they might be you know, dark, or they might be scary, or they might be sweet and charming, you know? Um, but it's finding those moments of truth. And I think, you know, I always say this to people. Everybody goes, oh, I don't have a story. And I go, yes, you do. Everybody has a story. Like, you just have to ask people about it. Everybody has an extraordinary story and a reason for being. And I think we just have to be more aware that you know, everybody needs to take up space. Thank you, Cho, so much for coming in today. It's been such a pleasure to hear your words, to hear your story, and to talk with you. Thank you. This has been great. Annie Bradley is an award-winning writer-director for film, TV, music videos, and commercials. She is an alumni of the Sundance Film Festival, the TIFF Talent Lab, the CFC Directors Lab, Film Fatales, AWD, Women in the Director's Chair, and is the second vice chair of the Directors Guild of Canada Ontario Board. Annie's many directing credits include the CBC Hulu series Endlings, the Emmy-nominated Dino Dana, and Good Witch for Hallmark. Recent films include indie rom-com Sincerely Yours Truly, the BBC Family Channel series My Perfect Landing, The Setup, the Crave documentary I'm Gonna Break Your Heart, and her personal short film project Blowback, which is currently being developed for feature length. Thank you, Annie, for joining us at Deluxe Toronto. Thank you to Deluxe Toronto for hosting us and for continuing to support Women on Screen. Be sure to check out future episodes of Women on Screen Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts. And check out upcoming events and initiatives from Women on Screen at womenonscreen.ca. Until next time, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki. And I'm Jennifer Pogue. And we are Women, Women on Screen. Women on Screen Out Loud was recorded at Deluxe Toronto. This podcast was created and produced by Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue, executive produced by Lauren McKinley, Farah Morani, and Kira Murphy, with original music by Erica Percunier.